Close on all to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast sponsored by the Fat Bow. Uh, Andy, um, what's your favourite item on the Fat Bow's menu? You yeah. always come to me about this. I don't even live anywhere near the Fat Bow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, any, any consolation, I've had a Sunday roast today and it was absolutely banging. So okay. no word That's of a good. Lot. It would be bad news if it was poor. No, it was banging. It was really good. Okay. And, um, good. So yeah, happy days. Excellent news. Um, Tim? Why don't you uh, let people know what we can expect from today's podcast and introduce our first guest? Well, there's a bit of everything, really. So we're going to sort of take take the, uh, the the bits from Blythe yesterday and have a discussion about that, what, what was right, what was wrong about it. Then we're going to look into the documentary stuff. Obviously, that came to a fitting end this week, season one. Really, really good stuff. So we've got a few people involved in that no least uh, mr humphrey carr executive director of the football club and annette gardner um self-proclaimed happy clapper by her own admission blaster um, but it'll be good to have a, a female voice on because we don't have enough of them so really appreciative to have annette on and then we will go from there with them um, with what seems to be a busy schedule upon us for the club really well annette welcome to the podcast how are you i'm fine thank you yeah. Good. And I understand let's start off with yesterday's results. Obviously a very disappointing one all draw with Blythe. Uh you made the trip up. How how was it? Um it was a good away day, but it was a typical FA Cup for me. You know, as a Wrexham fan, we've seen plenty of them. Um it just they just didn't perform well on the day. Uh, plenty of positives, but a lot more negatives. Yeah, Tim, you were there too. What was uh, what, what did you make of the performance? I can't wait to to hear Annette's positives because I'm uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a few. It didn't rain. Um, that was a massive plus. It was still cold. Uh, it was just. I mean, don't get me wrong. Bly was it was really good, really welcoming, really hospitable. Um, great setup there. And I don't know. You know, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be any surprise. You know, Wrexham in the FA Cup. We know all about the great FA Cup shocks. So. You know, there's always potential for that, irrespective of of our team being better. You know, it wasn't that long ago since Stanford dumped dumped about dumped us out of the cup. So, you know, you need to put a little bit of context to it. Teams do raise their games, and we are a bit of a scalp in the current climate. You know, with all the noise around the club, so it was disappointing. We didn't play very well. That was clear for all to see on ESPN, and you know, a draw was probably a fair result if if we're if we're really honest about it it could have been a lot worse so you'd like to think we'll do the job in the replay yeah I think for me I think that's the best bit is that we've got Tuesday night to to put things right so yeah yeah definitely Andy what did you make of it watching it from your North London uh pad um, yeah, uh, I was a bit, I was a bit confused by the team. I'll be honest. I mean, I can understand playing Tom, Tom O'Connor at centre back when you're absolutely in an emergency, um, but we're not in an emergency. We've got a pretty good centre half on the bench, and he's been on the bench all season. So if he's on the bench, surely he'll be okay to step into a game like that. You know, he's not. It's not like he's completely unfit or or, or injured or anything. And so to try the Tom O'Connor experiment again baffled me a little bit because. I saw flashes of Tom O'Connor against Barnet, especially at the start, where I thought, right, I think this guy's going to be our main centre mid. And, you know, let's let's feed him into that position. But then you move him back to centre half, and it all goes a bit ski-whiff again. Um, and I just thought, 
really it was that was the game that Tonnecliffe should have started. It's it, you know Tonnecliffe by all accounts is an old-fashioned head it away sort of centre half, and that's exactly what we needed yesterday because a lot of the times Blythe were getting the ball in the box and we were faffing about with it rather than just getting it out. And I think you go one up and you get a centre half who will clear his lines, we'd have been in a much better place than where we are now, which is back in the hat. Uh, I won't focus too much on the negatives. I mean, I think it's already been covered that too many long balls going up didn't really set the tempo in midfield. Um, I, I thought the service Dolby got in particular was really poor. Um, you know, there's people saying, oh, he can't make the ball stick up top. It's like, well, with some of those balls he was receiving, it, what what hope did he have really? But just to move, just to focus on the positives, I think I was really angry at the final whistle. But then later on in the day, when I saw the full list of results, I thought, well, okay, we're not exactly the only team to have faltered. Notts County suffered a much worse uh, outcome than us. And to be honest, I do enjoy a Tuesday night game under the lights. So I'm going to take that as a positive. I've got my ticket and I'll be selling copies of the new Fearless in Devotion fanzine. Well, there you go. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's the FA Cup, isn't it? And we, we've done enough giant killings of our own to to not get too upset when we don't quite see off a team from one division below us. It's not It's not the end of the world. I think probably... The performance is a bit more disappointing, in particular coming away from home, which does seem to be a growing issue, doesn't it, Andy? I mean, there's that, and there's the fact that you've got you've got a worldwide audience for this, so you were just desperate for them to really show up and sort of, you know, keep to keep the welcome to Rex some interest going because you know they could see them live and you could think, wow, you know, this is a this is a blood and guts team to go with to go with what the heart and passion we've seen with the documentary. But again, yeah, you're right. I think away from home, it is a bit more, you know, hearts in mouth stuff. We don't really, we don't really set the tempo as much as we do at home. At home, we get at them, we get among them, we get the ball, we make short balls, we make, look, we make good runs. And I think we let the opposition play a lot more away from home. Now, let's just, let's just think of it this way, right? Maybe Parky is playing the long game on this. Maybe Parky knows that he's got great quality off the bench and he knows he's got a very fit squad. He also knows that teams are going to come on to Wrexham for the first 20 minutes because Wrexham, as we all said, are a scalp. So maybe he's thinking, let teams come on to us for the first 20 minutes. Let them come on to us for the first half an hour. Then we'll start to, to when they've blown themselves out, then we'll start to take more of a grip on, on, the, on the game. And then in the second half, when we're able to bring on great players off the bench will be able to put the game to bed. Now, that's a gamble, but it's worked a few times this season. It didn't work yesterday, but that's because Blythe absolutely were all, you know, had nothing to lose. So there is sort of, I do sort of see logic in the way we do play away from home. Maybe. No, I can see maybe. the logic in that. Can I just go around the room and ask what, what people, if you, if you can think of any Wrexham game where we played well and won, on a televised broadcast, can you think what 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 is your one that you can think of? Because I'm struggling. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm thinking, didn't we beat Maidstone in the FA Cup on that run to Stoke? That was on BBC, and I think we played well in that. Sutton four nil. Mm. Sutton. Three, yeah. four years ago. Sutton. And also, we. Uh, I'm going back a long way for this, but uh, the definitely the the run to the uh, playoff final, two very good performances against Kidderminster home and away. I thought, but that is that was twenty 
13. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, Tim oh, are, we, about... are we just going to ban the cameras from the race course? Is that what we need to do here? If they live streamed every Wrexham game, we'd be in the, the 12th division by now. If that's anything to go by, we're just crapping the telly, aren't we? Simple as that. Is it extra pressure for them, though? Do you think that having the cameras there is just added pressure they don't need? Well, they should be used to it, having, having cameras in their faces in every nook and cranny the last 12 months. I don't think that, that should be the last thing they're thinking about when they step out into the pitch. It's just weird. But it's always I, been like that for as far as I can remember. We've always been not very good when the cameras are rolling. Thinking yeah. about it now, first game, first home game of last season against County, not County when we drew one all. I actually thought we played really well. Yeah. Probably deserved to win. County in the in the semis as well on the way to the trophy last season we played really well. Mm. So well, the barrel, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, the spotlight is very much on us. Tuesday night ESPN will be broadcasting the game again, which would be great. Uh, and we've got a, a a big American fan base watching thanks to the documentary. And Annette, did you uh, did you think you'd be such a, a star, such a big starring role? You, you were Andy Gilpin's uh, standout breakout star, according to his oh. uh, Twitter account. What do you make of that? I didn't know that. But it's very surreal. I don't think if I'd have known how big it was going to be or how much hype there was going to be around it that I would have agreed to do it in the first place. Um, it never entered my head when they said, we're going to do a documentary about Rex and would you like to be part of it? We're just going to ask you a few questions about being a fan. And I said, yeah, you know, I don't mind that. Um, and to go from where it was then to the hype around it now, it's just totally surreal. You know, it's it's been quite scary. <laughs> so, and being recognised in in just away fans yesterday at Bly's, for example, um, in the supermarket in Aldi, people just saying, I saw you on the documentary. And of course, in school, um, lots of the children have been watching. So, you know, they've all, um, they've all said, I've seen you on the telly, miss. Um, and it's quite... It was very, very scary for me. I, I've not yet been able to watch it without being on pins because I didn't have any previews. So all of the things that they filmed, I've no idea what was going to be shown. So it's I want to go back and watch it now. I know what's in it and then enjoy it because I've not been able to up to now. Annette, can I ask you about one one part of it, which is yeah. the part that made you the breakout star for me? And that is the part in, in the... Do you know which one this might be? <laughs> I've got an idea. <laughs> right, it's the one in the turf where you've been fronted up by, by Ryan and Rob and absolutely, Paxman at his best, you, you've got a point to make. You don't make it angrily. You, you sort of think about it. You make it passionately. But you say you say something that that not many people would in that situation. And I think that's, I think certainly for me, I went, wow, I, well done. Because it's a, it's a, it's a sort, it's the question that a lot of people have been thinking, but haven't been either given the chance or, or sort of <clears throat> giving the sort of opportunity to, to, to ask it. And, and I thought you asked it really well. I think for me, I'm really passionate about the club, the club, the community and the people who work there. They're my football family. Um, I didn't, I didn't like, I don't like what is happening. Um, I've done the right things as far as I'm concerned in that I've taken my concerns internally first. 
um, they are our co-owners, they are our co-chairman, there's nobody above them. I, I couldn't miss that opportunity to say what, was, what I wanted to say. Um, for me, the documentary only showed a very tiny part of it. Um, they got the main points across. There was lots of other parts in between where I was quite positive. Um, obviously, they, did, they chose not to show those. But Sean Harvey was actually sitting there. So he's well aware of all of the conversation that I had with Robin Ryan, which lasted close on 45 minutes. And I was absolutely blown away by the integrity of those two. Um, they genuinely do seem to, to want the best for the club and the best for the community. So I felt comfortable telling them what I wanted them to know. Um, and I wouldn't have been me if I hadn't have done that. Um, I'm a very straight person. So I genuinely wanted them to know what I thought was happening. Um, and it's their decision at the end of the day to do with that information what they will. Beppley, can't say fairer than that, Annette. I should say um, that uh, the executive director of Wrexham, Humphrey Carr, has joined us on the podcast, although uh, here he is. Although uh, he, the reason he's late is because we, we we allowed him, um, because we're kind, to to watch the, the end of the Liverpool City game, but it hasn't actually finished yet, has it? Yeah, I, I realised that I can't stick around for that long, so <laughs> I, I was like, you're only going to get like six minutes of me this way if this keeps going on. Anthony Taylor keeps adding minutes at the end of the game just to make sure that it all goes wrong for Liverpool. Okay, well, we'll 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 forgive you for glancing up to the screen every now and again. Um, while we've got you, if you've got limited time, um, how are you feeling now that the documentary is over? Is it is it a bit of a release? I know that you know you weren't necessarily involved in that part of it, but obviously being such a big part of the football club, how, how does it feel now? It's all done. Yeah, well, I, I, it, it, there is a bit of a relief in a way because not having been that involved with it, I, you know, my number one concern was just that it would go down well in Wrexham. I was always confident that whatever they did and whatever they made would, you know, be introducing the, the whole concept to like a wider American audience and that that would probably go down very well. It's it's a very fascinating story. It's got lots of charming characters in it. And, and you know, I, I had a... a a confidence that they would find a way to pick through that. The thing I was a lot more worried about would just be people who were, you know, from the town and, and local and, you know, for whom this had been a lifelong love and passion would find it, um, you know, not in depth enough or, or that it would be patronizing or that it would be X, Y, and Z. But, but, um, you know, luckily I think from what I've seen and from what I've heard and what people have told me, it's gone down very well. So that, that was the only thing that I was worried about and, and whether or not it would, you know, how it go down inside the club as well, because because that is another thing is that, you know, over the course of it, obviously you have those instances where it's like to take Aaron Hayden, for example, you know, there's an episode which kind of focuses on his mistake against against Maidenhead, albeit I don't I, I wouldn't say that it was his mistake against Maidenhead really that, that brought things low, but that was the sort of the narrative of that episode. But then knowing that there was going to be an episode that focused on the fact that, you know, the end of our season was probably derailed by not having Aaron in and that that would that would act as a sort of salve on any, you know, any weirdness he might feel about being sort of called out on on international TV. So, yeah, I'm, I, I was sort of it was a bit of a sigh of relief when it when the last episodes came out, because I knew that a lot of those would wrap up as well 
some of the stories across the course of the season that, that might have left the participants feeling weird about them. Do you think it's been well received in Wrexham? Then I think uh, I, I certainly liked it. I can tell you that. Mm. Well, I've not I've not had as many. I got one email from someone about the Hamilton episode about how they were frustrated about how kind of light that was in a way that it did it didn't speak to you know the two Daves particularly D- Dave Bennett and Dave Griffiths who who kind of uh, um, were so integral to the the survival of the club through that period and uh, and you know ultimately i wrote back to the gentleman and said look you know i mean it's the problem is it's 25 minutes and it's going to an audience that don't have you know it is being broadcast to people around the world who won't have that context for them and won't understand you know the kind of the political situation at, at, at Wrexham afc in that window so no i mean you know i i anytime someone's not shouting at me i'm i'm relatively i will take that as a success I think we've got to ask you about your uh, your arduous trip to Blythe yesterday. Oh, I thought oh, I thought okay. that, uh, <laughs> nine hours on a bus was was quite bad, but just give us a rundown of, of where you started your trek. Your trek. Sure. Amongst. Well, I was I was well. I'm back filming American Auto, which is the TV show that I I'm on in the states. So Thursday, I was there until about six o'clock on Thursday, uh, LA time, and then went home, went to bed, got up. But I got to the airport about seven on uh, at seven in the morning on Friday. Flew to Chicago. That's where things went wrong because my flight from Chicago to London was delayed by four hours. So I switched flights onto onto an, another one that wasn't delayed. Although I did get moved then to a centre seat, which uh, for me in economy is not great. <laughs> I mean, uh, not terrific stuff. So I um, spent quite a lot of that flight, the seven hours from Chicago to London, sort of wandering up and down the plane, ruining everyone else's trip by being just this big lump in the sort of centre aisle. Uh, got to London. Well, that was snow. I switched flights. That flight was delayed as well by by an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes, which meant I missed my connector in London. And uh, I ran out of the airport, got on a train or ran across, got the Heathrow Express into London, went across London, got to King's Cross, got on the 10 a.m. London to Newcastle train, um, left my luggage in Heathrow, which I've still not yet been reunited with, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, and I, um, yeah, got to got to Blythe, got to got to Croft Park about 20 minutes into the first half. So I saw everything from from about then onwards wow i think that deserves a round of applause ladies and gentlemen well done that's a very generous stellar effort i don't get the chance to watch games that much you know but splitting the time so anytime i work out oh i think i can get there just in time for a game i'm going to try and do that the fact that it was in newcastle did make it a bit trickier than if it was i think if it was at home yeah i'd get three o'clock i'd have been i'd have been golden because i'd have gone london to manchester or whatever when, uh, when you were when you were roaming the aisles of the aeroplane, were you perfecting your Obi Wan Kenobi audition walk again? Is that is that something that you're still? Is that an ongoing thing, or is is that is that book ended now? Can we pass? I'll say, I'll say this about my Obi Wan Kenobi audition: um, any time I have to prove to people that I have nothing to do with the the, the content, <laughs> I get to say, "Yeah, they put that blinking <laughs> bit into the documentary." I mean, I will say that I was told there was a longer section. There was a section at the end where you saw my actual audition, the bit where I was right. speaking the lines. And thank God that got cut out. Otherwise, that really would have been uh, um, mortifying. So, yes, the less said about that, the better, I think, for me <laughs> as a professional actor. Oh, it was wonderful. Dear. 
My my wife uh, said at that point, she was like, he's not marching. He just said he's supposed to be marching. That's not a march. So maybe that's the insight into why you didn't get well, it. I don't know. They said they said a sort of solemn procession rather than like a rather than like a straight night, the troop in the colour, which I am. I can do that quite well because I did cadets and stuff at school. It's pretty well, good. So did, so did Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, sure. Well, no, it wasn't for the part of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I hasten to point out. Well, this is the thing. So here's what I can tell you. When you ever you audition for like a Star Wars or anything like that, it's a nightmare because they won't tell you what the character is and they won't give you the script. So they give you a bunch of like weird stuff like this to do and like scenes from other movies. But I was like, am I a goodie? Am I a baddie? Am I, am I an alien? They, it said on the on the audition, like must be over six foot five. So I was like, well, here we go. I'm going to be an alien of some kind. <laughs> but then I was thinking, well, I'm probably a good guy um, because most of the aliens are goodies. So I was trying to be not too sort of militaristic but then watch when i watched obi-wan kenobi i was like oh i think it's that guy maybe i think it's the bloke that rupert friend plays in it and he's a really good actor so i don't feel so bad that i lost out to him wow also he's famous so they probably just were like rupert do you want to do this and he was like yeah go on then so i never <laughs> had a bad chance it's all rigged it's all here <laughs> one scene that i think is probably one of the most talked about other than the uh the kenobi audition is your um when you first met the team um, um yeah and a few people have sort of suggested that you know that there was that sort of awkward laughter as as you left mm. some people saw that in sort of a negative light as though you know players were sort of being mocking but I, to me it was more you know the awkwardness of a group of people meeting for the first time how did you take that yeah I, listen I think it was it was totally fair enough I mean I, insofar as it was just a weird thing like the whole the whole process was weird i mean I, i'm very sympathetic to the players and to, and to dean and everybody else that was there because we came in and and anytime there's a takeover at any football club i think there's everyone has that question of like what's this going to be like what are we how are we going to be treated what's our what's our fate um you know how's this going to work and you know for them it was weird it's, it's weird and on top of that it's me as i say coming in and being like you don't know me none of you have met me you know football's a very small world I'm, I'm learning you know lots of the players know each other they know players from other teams they've encountered each other in different instances um and I was a total outsider and I was a giant weird posh man who accidentally switched off the lights <laughs> when, I, when I came in and, and it's totally fair enough I did I also saw some people being like ah no no doubt when he he couldn't wait to fire them all at the end I was like no I re that really was not the <laughs> it's strange how people read into it so much of because course. I suppose it's all you only see small moments, don't you? You don't see the full picture exactly. necessarily. Exactly. That's yeah. that. That is, you know, that's what people have got to go on, and that's what they've they form their their sort of views and opinions uh, via. So no, I mean, it just it was totally fair enough. The, the, I will say when I was in there, one Theo Vassell looked at me with a with a face of like absolute undisguised disgust <laughs> all the way through. It. <laughs> I kept sort of flicking my eyes open and being like, ugh. I'm worried he's going to beat me up in the car park at this rate. But it was, it was no, I mean, it, again, I get it. And it, it's the same. It was the same for everybody. It was a new it was a new thing. And um, it was always likely to have this slight, um, yeah, this slight air of, of strangeness for, for all of them. You know, it, it's a settled environment. You know, when, you know, when we came in, I think there were football club was facing a lot of I would go so far as to say sort of insurmountable challenges to it, to its future, but it was what people were used to and it's what they understood and it's what they, they, um, you know, 
you know what they had become accustomed to and so anything coming into that starts to feel strange and and threatening to a certain extent Humphrey, have you been privy to the to the numbers of in terms of viewership of, uh, um, of the season one and and because from what i can gather it's it's exceeded potential expectations i, I don't know if you've got i, I, I actually haven't I, I know that from talking to rob that he's there with the, uh, sorry my laptop's falling off my, my knee um they're really happy with it and um they are uh you know it, it has done great numbers it's done very good numbers for fx which it's on initially and then in streaming one of the challenges with streaming is the streaming services are very cagey about what their numbers are um because they've discovered that gives them a big advantage when they're dealing with with uh producers and and you know it they don't want us to know that it's been <coughs> by like one in every three people in north america because then when we come back next season that gives us an advantage in negotiations about how much money they have to pay so they're always quite quiet but i mean I'll, I'll, all i'll say is that like nothing i've ever been involved with before has has garnered as much attention you know as many of my friends or as many people i know or i got recognized by two people in chicago airport while i was waiting for my flight which was does not happen a lot Absolutely no one watches American Auto, which is the show I'm on over there. Um, but uh, but this is definitely something that has, you know, really kind of got into the zeitgeist. Like it's just, it, I think it's it's really kind of piqued people's interest and imagination over there. It's been, uh, it's been a, I think it's a wild ride for everybody. I think, you know, Annette said the same thing as that she didn't, was, was not expecting um, the kind of, the attention i suppose because i think yesterday at Bly, there was there was a couple of Bly fans coming up to you saying i love the documentary and, and all this sort of stuff so yeah. i think it's the same thing for you isn't it and that you just it is it's been it has been very surreal um my inbox has been over you know the amount of americans who've contacted me i've never expected that um and just people recognizing you uh at away games as well as at home games and I found that incredibly strange. Um, I mean, for Humphrey, you're used to being on screen anyway. For me, I'm just a Wrexham fan. So, you know, I've never had to even encounter people recognising me before. And it's been incredibly strange. Right. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... Yeah, it's part, it's part and parcel of of, of what, what comes with the territory in a way of being on the show. And I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously Wayne and, and Sean Winter and uh, lots of folk from around town have sort of suddenly, you know, scooped and people uh, have got a lot of attention from from folk um, outside of the outside of the Wrexham bubble, if you will. Yeah. Humphrey, um, I know you're not that close to production, but there's one, one thing I did want to know is um, why did they change the theme music after the first two? I don't know. I thought that as well. I've got no idea, actually. I wasn't sure when when, when I first saw it. I was like, oh, I wonder if they're doing a different one every week that sort of reflects yeah. where we are now. But I don't know. Um, it does happen quite a lot. I mean, funny enough, again, <laughs> not to keep banging on about my show, um, they're just sort of <laughs> really hard. Like, you guys would triple the, the viewership. Um, <laughs> the uh, they We're changing our theme tune like halfway through the season for some reason. They, they, we had Bruce Springsteen for the first week and then they had like a sort of generic song and now they're looking for a different one so i don't know it seems to happen over there more often than i had never noticed it before but it, it does seem to be a thing that goes on I, and i don't know why Keep the first one was far more touching mm. yeah. but i do i have enjoyed the 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 more recent uh the more recent one by uh buddy holly, buddy holly yeah, yeah yeah 
I've enjoyed that. It's on the Spotify playlist now, so that's great. Um, can, we, can I ask you something more generally? I'd be intrigued to know, you know, I'll Rob and it. Ryan, you're... Yeah. Um, I, for some reason, I just thought of this earlier, and I was wondering whether the attendances being as good as they are, did you anticipate them being as good? Because I'll be honest, I was quite taken aback that we that we that we are in five figures pretty much all the time. I yeah. thought we'd get seven, eight, um, and is that kind of what you'd budgeted for and what you'd looked at? Because I'm assuming you guys had an idea of what you could get to. Well, we did. We we ran a budget at like a certain amount of capacity, you know, that uh, right at the start, um, and. I think it, it was less than effectively 100%, which is what we're operating at now. Um, because obviously, you always want to you always want to be conservative when you're doing budgets and things like that. Um, but I mean, I think very uh, naively, I was always like, you know, this is a thing that I bring up a lot when people ask me. I've been talking about it a lot recently, talking to to you know new media outlets that are talking about Rexham for the first time and asking about the story, and I'm I'm always banging on about you know, I made this sort of matrix that was designed to to explain what which teams would be a good fit for us. And the biggest thing for Wrexham was always that the 1920 season, you were getting uh, four and a half thousand people a week on average into the race course when we were 19th in the National League. So there was always a sense of like, well, if that's what you're getting when the football is, by all accounts, pretty terrible. Uh, and, and yes, when the, that season ended, it was it was improving slowly. And and everything um the uh you know then what would happen if you were winning games regularly and and hopefully playing more exciting brand of football and and doing uh um uh you know doing well so it's both it both has exceeded our exceeded our kind of um conservative estimations but but is kind of in keeping with what i always sort of hoped and assumed would happen i mean we we are touch wood you know we're really hoping that that we get the levelling up fund bid confirmed um, in in November, and and we start work on a five and a half thousand seat stand. So we you know we are we are hoping that we will fill that as well. I mean, obviously that'd be easier as we go up the leagues, but you know, equally, yeah. there are regular league games at the moment which sell out well in advance, and we think we would sell more tickets. Yeah, uh, things are looking very positive, and the only way is up. I can see you're getting ready, Humphrey. Can I ask uh, you one last question well, before uh, you go? What's on the Zoom? Sorry about that. Yes. Apologies. Uh, you are the obviously the executive uh, director. I, hmm. uh, forgive me for putting you on the spot, but there have been a, a number of personnel changes at the club recently. Is is there anything you can tell us about about those and about what's going to happen next? Well, I mean, the only thing I would say about it is that I think that there is, you know, I alluded to it earlier talking about my interview with the players. Right, that that what I think a lot of people find difficult to to grasp from the outside. And even sometimes from the inside is there's just a huge amount of change going on. And and the the analogy that I've used a few times, which I think is is probably accurate, is it's like a, a startup in some ways. Like we the, the, the growth of the football club has been so massive that it's an unusual place to work at the moment. It's an unusual place in comparison to another football club. We, we're still very short-staffed. We're very short-handed. We find it, find it very, very difficult to recruit people. That has meant that the people inside the building are being asked to do more than they probably would in that role. It means that some of the roles that people come in to do are different to what they've had at other football clubs, despite being similar. So, you know, to take the example of like the media department, we had Ryan come in and go um, re- relatively quickly. And I think a big part of that challenge was from his perspective. And, I, you know, I, I can't speak for him per se, but I think a big part of the challenge was 
you know, he had to wear about four different hats. And that, that is the same across a lot of different departments. Now, some of the departments that require, you know, if you take ticketing, for example, that ticketing has a kind of finite limit to how much work there is to be done. There's an awful lot of it. Pete does it really well. It, it all seems to work. The, the system has worked, has improved. You know, we had teething problems. We had all sorts of issues. But that's one way of being able to go like, okay, this is what's required. This is what's done. And it, and it, it works and it's, it's a bit easier. Some of the others, you know, um, Andy that came in, I think what his expectations of what the job would be and what they were were, were quite different. Um, that is partly because the job is evolving all the time and it's something that like is a challenge for us to predict exactly where it's going to go i mean you have a situation where again if you're the commercial director of a national league club you very rarely are having all of your stock gone in two days and then have hundreds of thousands of people around the world being like i want more get let's get more let's do more let's do this that, and the other so while the solution to that and and the issues of that are not in his power like he he is not he's not uh responsible for those things those are not his issues it, it all adds together to create a a thing that is very different and so I know that there are, you know, people who are inclined to want to point the finger at uh, other members of, of the hierarchy and say that, that it's, it's, you know, it's an unworkable working environment, it's this, that and the other. You know, I think those tend to ignore the large swathes of people who work at the football club, who enjoy working at the football club, have a good time, um, see it as a place that is moving forward and heading in the right direction. But it's just difficult. It's, it's teething issues. It's the same you know, I think if you have any business that suddenly, and I mean, I'm plucking this number slightly from the either 10Xs their, their business, uh, 15Xs their business, it's bloody hard. It's a challenge. It's difficult. So it's something that from outside you look, you look in and, you know, you don't have a view into kind of what the day-to-day operational life of the football club is like. Um, and so are sometimes inclined. I, I think we also, we all have a thing where we are kind of, slightly inclined to believe that i mean some of the stuff that i read online just boggles my mind and i will notice that a lot of it is all lots of people like to speak in very general terms and when they're ever asked about exactly what it is they say well that uh, it's not for me to say and this, this is i mean i don't ask people i see other people asking but i'm always intrigued to know what it is that is the basis of this belief that there's some there's some catastrophic goings on behind the scenes and no one ever seems to quite be able to say what it is. Um, so, I mean, it's not, as I say, it wasn't something that I was coming on here necessarily to speak about or talk about. But I just, you know, from our perspective, I think there's also a kind of a desire for people to believe that that either I or uh, Robin Ryan or whoever it is don't know, sort of don't know what's going on and aren't aware of what's happening. The, the reality is, I mean, you take, for example, I saw people were upset about the Centenary Club, right, has been a thing that people have been upset about for a long time. We've talked about that in various different places, but I, I don't know if it, people are like 100% aware of why we did what we did. I mean, in that period, you know, we part of our policy was like, we'll just suck it up. Well, to people be upset, we'll just take it. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll roll off it. And then I, and then because we had a rearranged uh, fixture tomorrow night, I saw it come up again. People are again complaining about the fact that we are charging people to go into sense on Tuesday night. Um, the reality is, Many and various uh, licensing laws were being broken in the Centenary Club before we came along in terms of how many people you're allowed into that space that that stop it from being a fire hazard. So our decision was we can put someone on the door, 
that stops people from going in there and people get very upset about, well, why can't I go in there? My friends are in there, half my family are in there. Or we can look to reduce the space in the room by another means. We can make it dual purpose, somewhere for the players, families to go, somewhere to do this, that and the other. So we took that decision. And the, you know, the, the, the upshot of that is that like, we didn't necessarily communicate why we were doing it or what we were doing because it, it had the potential to kind of reflect we never wanted to kind of kick. You didn't want to advertise the fact that they were advertise the fact that the club had been breaking the law for quite a long time, um, and you know there were lots of things that were done under the WST which were were entirely understandable and necessary and 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 you know forgivable because it because of the nature of the organisation and the nature of the resources that we had then that we can't do. You know we we have to conduct ourselves like a business, and I do know that lots of people sometimes butt up against that because because the great thing about being fan owned for 12 years is that fans come first in every available possibility another thing being you know people saying oh why are they charging 12 pounds for a ticket it's it's ridiculous well that's what Blythe charge that's what we'll charge they get half our money if we say oh we're going to do five pounds a ticket they're like no way you can't do that because we're going to it's going to reduce the amount of money we get so you kind of at times trap between a rock and a hard place because you have some people saying we should surrender our half of the of the money that Blythe are getting because we're a big club and they're a small club. It's a bit patronising and also a little bit like, you know, effectively what you're saying is Robin, Robin Ryan will pay for it in the end. You know, we 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 are they are subsidising the existence of the club. Um, you know, it's like oh, can't Robin Ryan give Blythe fifteen grand or whatever it is? Um, but then equally, people don't necessarily want to pay for the tickets on our side that the money goes to Blythe. So. You know, it's difficult to draw the line there as well. Well, this is it? a long answer. This is I. No, we appreciate the. Things we appreciate the full, we appreciate the fullness of your response, in particular when you're uh, you're heading out. So uh, thank you very much for that. Where are you off to? Play football? Is it? I am no, um, no. I'm going to go and have dinner around my old university flatmate's house because I'm in London at the moment. So um, I am uh, going to go see them. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us. We will keep you. you more. Thanks for having me. Always thank a pleasure. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you to Humphrey for that incredibly full response at the end. I, I felt like there was quite a bit uh, he'd be wanting to say some of that. Annette, what did you make of it? Obviously, because you know uh, you you've raised this issue before. I think, I think that Humphrey is very coy, and I understand the fact that on air he can't say very much at all. I think. I've seen, I've worked there. I'm not just looking from the outside. Uh, I've worked there for years. Um, I haven't worked there since the summer um, for whatever reason. But the things that I've commented on, I've commented on because I've seen with my own eyes. Um, And I wouldn't have commented if I hadn't. So I don't want to say any more than that. I do think that it needs looking at. I do think that those of us that were at the club all expected change. We all want the club to grow and to grow successfully. And it's been absolutely amazing, um, like the amount of media attention. So we've now reached a million followers across all um, social media. The uh, online shop has had... um, a 4,000% increase in hits. But it's no good if those 4,000 hits do not generate sales. 
there always should be stock. Now, I'm not saying I don't know whose fault that is. He he alluded then to Andy Duff, um, which I think was a little unfair because they fetched Andy Duff in to replace somebody else, um, as we all know. So it's unfair for Humphrey then to say that that's a different, that it's not the job that Andy was expecting because Andy came in to replace somebody, you know? So um, I think those side of the things for me, I want the club sustainable. I don't want Rob and Ryan dipping in their pockets constantly to, to fund the club because they'll very quickly get fed up of that. We have to make this club sustainable. And if we're having 4,000% increase in hits on the website, they should be able to get the things they're going on there for. I'd be interested to see the figures for not just the hits, but the sales from those from those hits. You know, well, there, I think are, there are it, things that need addressing. Yeah, I think it's been notable, hasn't it? The uh, the number of Americans I think we've all seen on Twitter complaining at the lack of stock, and I'm sure that will. Uh, be incredibly frustrating for the for the football club as well. No, but thank you for um for being honest and, and giving us your opinion as well, Annette. Um going you know going back to the um documentary, uh you know you mentioned that you struggled to uh, to watch it and I can totally understand that. Um are there any bits despite that that really stood out for you that you know really powerful or or any bits not not necessarily involving you but uh, any part at all? I think the opening sequence for me grabbed me straight away. So because my father was a minor um, and I think to look at the Wrexham heritage and to open that up to a worldwide audience straight away, that them opening scenes with the, with the first lot of um, music actually got me right here. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the Buddy Holly one. I preferred the first one. Um, and I I'm, think, not, I'm not sure I'm a fan of it, but it's definitely in my head. Yeah, and I think Michael Hett, you know, Scoot, and Jordan Davis, you know. Um, I only spoke as a fan and my love for the club, and um, it's a very, very tiny part, and there's thousands of other fans like me and hundreds of other people who could have done what I've done. Um, so for me, that's not a big you know I wasn't expecting to be a big part of it at all but the likes of what Jordan Davis went through and what um, Scoot has gone through you know their personal stories and for them to share it I think what comes through for me was the integrity of Milosh and the professionalism of the uh, production team who are here in based in Wrexham they actually got the I think they get the town, they get the club. They've moved over here, lock, stock and barrel. You know, they've, it's upturned their lives. And I think their integrity and professionalism shone through in those scenes, especially how they handled Jordan Davis's um, sad, you know, nobody needs to go through that, do they? You know, you don't want to wish that on anybody. Um, and they handled it, I think, very, very well. Um, and the same with Scoot, it was it was touching, it was emotional, um, and they dealt with it in a lovely way, you know. So I think those parts for me um, are, are the bits that stand out. So 
it's over now. We've had a bit of time to reflect on it. Should we? Should we? Now, now we've we've asked Annette. Should we? Should we ask the same question to the rest of uh, to the rest of the the pod? Liam, do you want to go first? I think maybe because it's one of the most recent, but the episode I wasn't expecting to enjoy or, or to touch me quite as much as it did was the the bromance one because I saw the the you know the, the description of it and. I knew a bit about what it was going to be about, about the, you know, the relationship between Ryan and Rob, but it was then when they went into, when they go into that depth with the, with the fan base and looking at people's personal relationships and what football is really actually about. It's like, sometimes you do think, you know, do I go because I enjoy the football? Well, for Wrexham fans for quite a large amount of time, perhaps not. And so sometimes it's for those friendships, for those, you know, family relations that you might go to the match with, and I'm, I just get sappy about things now because I'm a dad as well. But I just think about things like taking my my lad to Andy's, <laughs> shaking his head, pretending that I'm not, but I am. Um, but yeah, you just thinking about being you know, a dad. So you know, how, how this is the first <laughs> we knew about it. But yeah, taking like the thought of taking my son to his first game and stuff, it does hit you in the gut a bit. So I'd say that was one I wasn't in, expecting to enjoy quite as much as I as I thought I would. Reese. Good question. I think um not not necessarily as a powerful one, but I, I did enjoy the Maiden Ed trip, uh the Maiden Ed episode because there was a lot of football in it and I was in it uh for about Yeah uh, and I wasn't oh, I, was sitting, I was standing right next to you. I was in it for a, about one point <laughs> three seconds. Um but no it was that that was good because it kind of summed up what it was like being there actually, which was um, heartbreaking, but also, you know, uh, quite exciting that Rob and Ryan turned up really unexpectedly. Um, I actually agree with Liam. I was really, really um, touched by the end of the bromance episode. I thought it was really, really well done and summed it up for so many. Um, in terms of, is there a, is there a, was there a proper highlight? I'm struggling here. Um, I I thought, yeah, I think actually what um, the episode where, um, you know, with Jordan um, and um, Kelsey, uh, his partner, um, was was really powerful. And, you know, j- just got to show how lucky we are to have him, I think. Um, very, very level-headed young man uh, who's obviously a massive talent. Uh, I think it's very easy to forget that sometimes that, uh, you know, form is temporary. Uh, and, you know, what he went through last year and uh, how well he played um is really you know not that it not that there would be any shame in not playing well but it but it's still a real testament to to what he what he is so um yeah that would be mine uh and tim yeah i mean well anything with parky he's come out as a big hero and all this um <laughs> yeah you know i mean somebody called him a pound shop for um sam allardyce on twitter before i might have been now it's bollocks i mean it's, his win ratio is still 60 64 percent or something stupid i reckon um, so yeah, he's the obvious winner in terms of you know seeing a different side of him. Um, most enjoyable kind of subplot, I guess, for me was I forgot his name though. The the young lad, the young boy who sort of goes to the games with his mates and plays football in Bellevue Park, and it's it's easy to concentrate on on you know the the sort of adult fan base and and, and, and so on and so forth. But I thought that was good. You know, it gives you an insight as to as to what the club means to a younger generation. You know. Even before um, before the takeover, what what it means to them, they look forward to it every week, and you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're seeing now. You know, kids everywhere wearing Rex and tops, whereas back in the day, you'd, 
you'd maybe see one in a blue moon amongst all United and Liverpool jerseys, and now it's completely gone the other way. So I enjoyed that. I thought he was a good, he was, he was an interesting character as well. He's a good lad, got his head screwed on, and um, loved his um, his kind of uh, no mercy flag, which which he digs out for the games. Big big fan of that. So yeah, just it was you know on the whole, there's not really. I, I've been struggling to find any real negatives with it, and, and that's transcended across all the social media stuff as well. You can't really find a lot of people that are finding any sort of fault with it, um, to be honest. So no, it's it's been really enjoyable, and here's hoping that post season two there looks there looks at season three because that will result on promotion. You would think so. We shall we shall see. Got to hope for that, haven't we? I, I, I think for me. It was a real clash of styles because it's it's 18 episodes and if they were all done in the same tone, I think it would would have got boring a little bit. But I would say one thing I would say, the producers, they use a lot of innovation and a lot of different things and things would pop up in one episode that they wouldn't use again. And I like that. For example, Rob commenting commenting on how how much everyone loves Ryan. I thought that worked really well. (laughs) Yeah, I thought the first two episodes were absolutely superb. I mean, me and Tim watched them and we said at the time, you know, I I, I, I don't get emotional about stuff on TV, but I, I, there was a tear in my eye because this is my town and it's been shown in the right way. I think mm-hmm. coming to that, the Paul Rutherford bit, because obviously he's a friend of the podcast, I was actually texting him at, at that time because he was worried, he hadn't seen it before, he was worried how he was going to come across. And, you know, I think the stark thing of him, looking how annoyed he was, you know, in the dressing room, and then the next slide comes up to say Paul Rutherford was was released the next day. I think, mm-hmm. I think that that really hit home. And I think finally, sort of like a funny bit. I lo- I loved it when uh, Ryan left his um his microphone off and had a piss in, in Spencer's. And he honestly, I'm never he pissed like a racehorse. Absolutely, he was going for ages. Well, he's well, a you, you, he's a very man. You mentioned pissing like a racehorse and Annette Gardner in the same tweet last we met, last we forget. So on 22nd of September, Andy Gilpin tweeted, this week's Wrexham FX was brilliant. Great interactions, some decent insight into the club and a good bit of football action too, plus Ghostbusters. Annette being my new hero and it scratched the itch of listening to Ryan Reynolds pissed like a racehorse that I never knew I had. 62 likes that's had. Well, there you and, go, that, and the frightening thing is that I never thought about what they were listening to when all the time I was mic'd up and that just that bit and I thought how many times have I gone to the toilet in the room <laughs> with a microphone on <laughs> this is the outtake best not to think about it Annette best not to episode 19 and 20 they're the only outtakes Annette Annette was singing the anthem to the opening episode of season one episode one um yeah. actually I, I'd like to add something in actually if it's um Something I did enjoy was, um, you know, you were talking Annette earlier on about, you know, when you spoke to to Ryan and Rob and sort of how, um, you know, quite clearly full of integrity they were. They were listening. I I I, I was quite um, impressed by the way Ryan um, reacted when he was asked, you know, maybe asked a sort of tongue in cheek question about Spencer Harris, and. I thought he dealt with it quite well in that, you know, we've been in those situations, I think, and it's very easy to, to, to laugh along to something and that could maybe be quite hurtful to someone and, and something. And I, and I, and I quite admired the way that he dealt with that um, as someone who was probably presumably wanted to 
um, you know, impress people and to fit in and to get along with the people who are fans of his new club. So that that was something that I was impressed with. And yeah, Parky as well, definitely. Um, I mean, although interesting that he seemed to go very soft on them in the FA Trophy um, final at halftime. Uh, no, no enthusiasm. I wonder whether that's what that's what cost us in the end. Dressing room was too big for that level of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. I think it was like being on the Starship Enterprise, so he was screwed. Really, it shocked me, Parky's enthusiasm, because I I actually thought that he wasn't as inanimated as I wanted him to be, and then to see that side of him, um, there's so many things in the documentary. Now you mention it that I've loved little bits of, like the the young boy, because the f- young fans are our future. Um, again, with the shirts in school, there's so many children now wearing Wrexham shirts for a um, for a non-uniform day that you you know you couldn't quantify that before. Um, so many bits of the documentary have been absolutely brilliant to watch, but until somebody jogs your memory about them, you can't really recall them. Um, I'm going to love watching it again, actually. Um, yeah. Can I just go go back to the Parky thing, um, which, you know, I, I think Tim said earlier that he's been a big winner out of this. I think certainly last season, we sort of viewed Parky as quite reserved, quite a journeyman who's kind of come in here, do what he can. You know, he's on a big contract. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't quite get the fans. You know, you get people saying, oh, Parky didn't even come over and clap and we won. You know, and we had this sort of, we had this sort of view of him. Now that view was coming inside him with the team not really playing very well. So there was already a bit of a skewed view of him, really. You know, he's got all this money and he's not put it, he's not putting anything together. I think seeing the inner workings of what he was dealing with and how he goes about his job has really helped me uh, understand him and understand what he's trying to do at Wrexham. Now there'll always be setbacks like we had on Saturday against Blythe, but I do sort of think that this you know, this is an inspired choice for us because he is a guy who's experienced enough to take on all the stuff that he's got with the documentary, all the expectation, even the guy who can, who has to come in and spend the money. That's, that's, you know, that, that can sometimes be a bit harder than it actually sounds like. So yeah, I've got a really new sort of found admiration for, for Parky and yeah. in what he's done and what he can do at this club. I totally agree with that last bit because I think, you know, for me, I wouldn't blame a lot of managers for not touching it with a barge pole, especially if you come from a level above and you're going, not only am I going to drop two levels, so if I fail at, at, in this endeavour and end up getting sacked, you kind of have almost pushed yourself down a level or two, you know, metaphorically speaking, and also then to be given loads of money, people just expect you to walk the league. I think, you know, one thing you can't, can't say is that you know that, that he's not taking a risk because it is a risk let's face it yeah. for him personally to do that and you've got you've got to admire that I think yeah we all know that money doesn't buy you the league exactly we you know look at Forest Green and I know they they bought it eventually but crikey yeah. they had to spend a lot of money and it's well, quite a few seasons look at files the files are still you know it can go wrong if if you could buy the league then uh, everyone would do it because it would be easy it's uh, it's it's always a gamble <laughs> It certainly is. Remember, Fylde had those um, glasses in the club, didn't they, with um, 2022 of them, League 2022. You know, they were so certain that they'd buy the league to go up and then look at what's happened. It's, there is no guarantees. You know, it's wonderful we've got this money, but, you know, it takes 
everything to be right on and off the pitch for promotion, I think. Well, wouldn't it be boring if we did just steamroll the league? I mean, we, we, know, we wouldn't know what to do, would we? We'd be there, we'd be there oh, right, we've already won the league. It's March. I don't think I can be bothered going on, on, on Saturday. So, yeah, come on, let's make it more interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. And, you know, if we get promoted this season, it will have worked out flipping perfectly for the documentary. So uh, can't, can't argue with that. Any last questions for Annette? Um, are you going to be doing more filming? Have they asked you to do more? Is that, is that still a thing? Or um, I don't really want to do more. Okay. Um, I've said I'm happy to do a catch-up if we have promotion, and I've no objections to them. Um filming when I'm at games, you know, as just like a distant shot. But I think there's so many other fans that could take this forward for Series 2. I think everybody's had enough of me, you know. Um, I've enjoyed it. It's not all been positive. Um, But, you know, let's somebody... I want everybody um, in Wrexham to to see different sides of different fans, you know, so... Um, for me, I don't really want to be part of the next one, unless of the promotion bit. Yeah, I think it speaks to the fact that you were sort of in it for the right reasons, because it would be quite easy for people to get caught up in it. And you know, I'm in the documentary, and isn't this great? And oh, I want to do the next series as well. But you, you're right; there are so many different stories out there. It's been fascinating just seeing the ones we've seen so far. So just think we a fan base of our size. What other stories are out there as well? Well, this was what, for me, I was amazed that they picked me in the first place, you know, because there was far more deserving people. And I'm not just saying that to, to appear humble on, you know, on this. It's how I genuinely feel. I was shocked that they asked me to be part of it. Um, and I love the club. So I, I do, you know, I enjoyed um, getting that across, the fact that I love the club, everybody knows I'm a happy clapper um, and I've got no problems with that you know, that term came about purely because of the absolute we've got some fans who just don't know where the cutoff point is of what's right and what's not um, and the abuse that the trust were getting um, a couple of years back was just unwarranted and working on the inside, seeing how much effort that they put in day in, day out, and then the abuse they were getting via social media, I thought was appalling. Um, and I used to stick up quite regularly for the trust, and I got the name Happy Clapper. You know, and, and for me, I, it, it is what it is. But I, I used that in the documentary to turn it on its head for the, for the people who'd used it as a derogatory term um, because I'm quite happy to be a happy clapper. (laughs) For me, I will always clap the team off. Um, There will always be certain members of that side that deserve a put in 100%. You know, they were like yesterday. It wasn't a brilliant performance, but Hayden put it in the shift. There was positive, you know, there was positive. He was excellent. Yeah. yeah, so why shouldn't he deserve to be clapped off the pitch? You know? Um, well, it, funnily enough, um, I remember when we had Spencer Harris on, he said, um, I think the way he framed it was, there's enough negativity 
towards players that he doesn't he'll always be positive because just to try and counterbalance it even if that's not how he's actually feeling inside yeah and I think for me I've worked alongside the players at the players house as well that they don't have anymore but I've seen the negative effect that that publicity has you know at the end of the day those players are human um they see that negativity and don't think that they don't have social media accounts. They, they're not seeing what's on fans chat. They do. And for me, we've got to remember that those people are human. You know, it's, it's pressure enough. Um, yes, they've got a brilliant job. Yes, they're doing what they want to do. But you only have to look at the likes of Redmond to know how much the pressure affects them. You know, it, it's not... It's not um, a great environment at times. They could be gone at the end of the season and they're out of a job. You know, it's it's that side of football. Sometimes it traded like pieces of meat and fans seem to forget that it's not the easy ride that they all assume it is. Look at Rutherford, that bit. I cried. Rutherford was one of my favourite people on and off the pitch. You know, that bit of the documentary really brought it home. Um, and yeah, you know, they are human at the end of the day and we all have to remember that. I think if I was to sort of sum up um, the first season of Welcome to Wrexham, I would go back to what I thought the documentary might be when it was first announced, which could just be, look at these crazy Americans coming over here and the calamity that ensues. And it couldn't have been further away from that. It became a real human story. And I'm so... I mean, I don't live in Wrexham anymore, but as soon as I moved away, my love for the club and the town which I grew up, which is full of crazy, wonderful, crap people, it grows more because I'm not away and I love getting back there. And I just love the fact that they managed to reflect that to the world. And it fills me full of pride to say yeah. that I'm from Wrexham now. And that's the best gift I think they could have given us with that. Yeah, I totally agree there. I think... It's, I've always been proud to come from Wrexham, um, always been proud to be a Wrexham fan, but I think that what they've done for the town um, is equally as amazing as what they've done to raise the profile of the club. You know, I, I hope that the council and everybody else works together to raise the profile of us as a new city, to show what we've got to offer, because it's not a bad place to live. You know, there are pockets that, need improvement but it is what it is we're a, an industrial town um and we've got people who've had to work for what they have you know it's built on hard graft and um co close-knit communities and i think that's that's come through and i'm i am proud to say that i'm from Wrexham. What a great way to end that chat, Annette. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been great to have a, a star. And, oh, uh, no, no. Apart <laughs> from that, no, don't go there. <laughs> but no, I think I think the fact that, um, you know, you, you're not necessarily going to continue filming because you want other fans to to maybe have their chances, is uh, it really does speak volumes. So, but thank you very much for, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Annette. Thank you. Yeah. Always welcome Cheers. back. Definitely. Thank you very much, Annette. Cheers. Right, so onwards to well, you, you, if if you still want to stick around in that, you can give us your prediction for Boreham Wood before you go. Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll we're we're gonna we're gonna we're not gonna predict Blythe because by the time 
some people have listened to this, that replay will have been and gone. So here's hoping we can get through in the replay on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, in terms of Boreham Wood, second versus third, big game. What are you thinking? I think it's going to be a tight one. Um, and I'm going to go for 1-0 to Wrexham. Because um, we do struggle when we play Boreham Wood. But I have been down there. Obviously, I've been to all, all the games, but we did beat them down there 1-0 um, yes. the time yeah. before. So I'm going for 1-0 win to Wrexham. I'd like it to be more, um, but I'm definitely thinking we'll win 1-0. I like that clean sheet. We need a clean sheet to build confidence. We do, we do. I'm going to... Uh... I don't know. I think we've done away with predictions in terms of um, forfeits and stuff. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a good way to end the podcast. Three uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> my prediction is Reese is never going to do his forfeit. That's my main prediction. Um, but right. apart from yeah. what is this forfeit? You yeah. tell me, Annette. You tell me. I mean, Tommy Kaus is. Didn't he want you to surgically remove? Something, I don't know. It was pretty hard. I think it involved a Chester shirt. The real one involved a Chester shirt. I oh, think. I saw that. I saw, yeah. Anyway, Andy, <laughs> what's your actual prediction for Borden Wood? Um, it's a tough place to go. It's, we, you know, we're going to have that replay. Um, the, the pitch isn't true. Uh, I think it's a draw. I don't think we'll lose, but I think, I think what's going to happen is we're going to take the lead and much like last season, they're going to come back at us. And I think it's going to be one each. I listen to Brian Flynn getting in all his excuses before he gives gives us <laughs> a prediction. Is this? Is that? No, we might win. <laughs> well, think... Like Parky's excuse yesterday with the wind whirling. Wasn't that windy? Was it? It's ridiculous. I didn't think it was. Maybe it was the stand that protected us because it was a bit like the cold road in that end of the. I don't know. He could have felt any wind because there, there was no gap for him to move. Really. When he ran onto the pitch to, to have it with, with the referee, he, he didn't have any technical area to move out of. So I don't know what he was thinking. But anyway, so Andy's gone for, I think, a draw. Annette's gone for a win. I've gone for a win. Liam? I think despite all the hysteria that's been following some of our away performances, I could see this being the sort of game where it galvanises the team. And I'm going to go for a 2 1. Away win, oh, Reese. Here comes the voice of reason. Um, uh, it's certainly a big game. Uh, I think it will be a draw. I think one all. Um, you know, we were there. I think I was there with you, Tim and Andy, last year. Um, where there was that last minute um, winner. Yeah, they were down to ten men. Remember, that's it. Oh. It was the Mullin volley, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah. Last minute equaliser, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. penalty. I remember now. Yes. Yeah. I think it'll be a draw, one all, and I don't think there's any shame in that either. I was just looking at our fixtures. You know, we've got three home games after Boreham Wood. Um, you know, if you were to say to me, win, uh, draw against Boreham Wood, and then win the next three, I would bite your hand off for that. So, um, uh, yeah, one all draw. Uh, can I just say we are selling the fanzines? Me and Blake will be selling on Saturday, and I think Liam, you're going to sell on Tuesday. For, for Blythe, if anyone's listening to that, and then there's free. Anyone, anyone can have a cuddle if they want. You know that that comes for free. Cuddle. I'll be selling some yeah. as well. I'll be selling them as well. And uh, yeah, and then we got free home games. New issue, hot off the press. Loads of good stuff. Um, yeah, Andy, you don't have to do a sales pitch every episode. Last week's was good enough. But um, was it? Can we just? I tell you what, just cut in last week's because it would probably yeah, be better than that. I will. You look very tired. I will. I'll do that. Um, any more last notices before we say goodbye? Big shout out to John the Toaster. 
He's uh, he's nearly, <laughs> he's nearly <laughs> made my phone explode overnight. I had no idea what was going on. The, the, Did he toast any bread in front of you? No, I, I knew nothing about it until I saw. I scrolled on Twitter during, like, after the game. I was like, what was that about? And then I got in touch with Niall, the, the media guy, machine we'd had a couple of sherbets. I was like, tell me about this John the Toaster. And it, it was just, just the way he said it. He said, oh, he just takes the toaster to a random away game, plugs it in a bar and makes people toast. He's called John the Toaster. I mean, that's great. It's a great idea. It's, it's yeah. had 5,000 5, likes. What is going on? Why so you can be Tim the Percolator. Tim the Percolator. <laughs> he has been pat tested as John the Toaster. Yeah. That did make me laugh. Incredible. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, big shout out to John the Toaster. You're welcome to come on the podcast. Uh, but thank you all very much for listening to us once again. We appreciate it and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.